Um, so um, today we're going to be talking about the circle of discipleship. So um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. Now, the last time we spoke, I spoke about discipleship. And uh, we felt like that's what the Lord was saying to talk about. And so that's what we talked about the last time. But there's more to discipleship than just one sermon. And I think, as you'll see, that, you know, discipleship itself is a huge subject area. So as you can see on the the circle that's up there, when I was praying, I really kind of flashed on this image of discipleship. So what you see on the right-hand side is um, the word salvation. So when we first step into discipleship, the first thing that happens is you get saved. Like when you're starting discipleship, the first thing that happens is you give your life to Christ. And those black arrows are showing that we are growing the whole time that you're on the planet. Like there's never a time when you stop growing in the Lord, right? Because we're all coming to know him more and more as time goes on. We're all growing in the Lord. And then there comes a point in that growth process where you cross over another line and you become a person who makes disciples, right? And then you continue to grow. So when you come back around to that word salvation, it's not your own salvation that's happening. It's someone else's, right? Okay, so next slide, guys. The purpose of discipleship is to help people establish a relationship with God, submerge them into his nature, and teach them to obey him. And you can see that in the verses there. So this is Matthew 28, 19 and 20 in the New International Reader's Version, which is a great version of the Bible. It's accurate, but it's kind of written on a very, like, fifth grade level, which really helps me. Maybe it doesn't help you. Maybe you speak King James, but I don't. So (laughs) I need something that's kind of where I live. And fifth grade is about where I live. Um, Because sometimes I am not smarter than a fifth grader. Um, So you must make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So he says to make disciples of all nations. He's standing in Jerusalem. Make disciples of all nations, right? That means the nations he's not standing in. The nation he is standing in and all the others. At that time, do you think that the people of Greece knew who Jesus was or the importance of his life, death, and resurrection? No. So when you're making disciples of all nations, you're actually discipling people who don't know Jesus. So when you're making disciples, sometimes you're discipling people who are already saved because there's quite a few of us in the room who haven't been discipled, right? But you're also helping people who don't know Jesus come into a relationship with him. Salvation is the first step of that process. And it's a necessary step. Amen? Okay, so um, next slide, guys. Salvation is the first step. Go and make disciples of all nations. Um, As a disciple maker, we'll disciple those who don't know him. Um, You may disciple saved people at times, but the instruction is to disciple those who don't know him. So how do we do that? What does that growth process look like? How does it occur? Next slide. So we've got through the salvation stage. We're working with someone who just got saved. How do we help them grow? Next slide. So growth is to submerge people into the nature of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey him, and this is how we grow. 
no matter where we are in the circle, we are always growing. We're always learning something new about God and learning to live a more obedient life. I would love to tell, I've been saved 40 years, 40 years. This week, I figured out some area of life where I'm not obeying God fully. I don't know about you, but I sometimes have blinders on about me. And even though I've known the Lord a long time, there are still areas of my life where I have to come up higher. And you will find your whole life long that even with the best of intentions, there are parts of your life where you need to come up higher. There's never a point where we stop growing, ever. So, how do you do this? What if you don't have someone to disciple you? How many of you here want to be discipled by somebody and you don't have anybody to disciple you? Right? Right. Okay, so we are at this place in Christianity right now. We, we have saved people who aren't discipled because we didn't really do it right to begin with. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like we've never really stepped into discipleship. And so what do you do <clears throat> if you want to be discipled? You're asking the Holy Spirit, right? You're asking the Father, please send me someone to disciple me. But in the meantime, what do you do? Well, in the meantime, what do you do is this. When you study the Bible, ask God two questions. Two. Who are you? What do you want from me? That's how you grow. When you read the scriptures, who are you? What do you want from me? What is your nature? And what do I need to start obeying? Next slide. So let's practice. This is Ephesians 1.3 in the NIRV. And it says, Give praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Those blessings come from the heavenly world. They belong to us because we belong to Christ. So, it says, give praise to God the Father. Uh, that sounds like a command. Right? So, when you're reading this, this is one of the things that God wants from me. It's one of the things that he wants from you, is to give praise. So, the word praise means to speak well of. So, give praise to God. In your life, what can you speak well of, of God? And then do so. I mean, I have a friend who, she wasn't struggling with giving praise. She was struggling with thanksgiving. And so <laughs> the way she remembered to give thanks to God regularly is she put a reminder in her phone. And every four hours, her phone would beep. And she would look at her phone, and it would say, give thanks. Like, I don't know what your practical step looks like, but in some way, you need to give praise to God. If you need to set a reminder in your phone, set a reminder in your phone. Do it. Eventually, it'll become a habit. You won't need the reminder. Right? But in the beginning, if you need something to help you out, use the technology to help you out. Okay? So, Dad blesses us with every spiritual blessing. What does this tell you about the character of God? Who are you? Every spiritual blessing. That tells me that Dad doesn't hold back. So, the character of the Father is he doesn't hold back from you. He doesn't withhold good things from you. Does that change your life? Yeah. If you're asking God for something and he's not giving it to you, it's not because he's withholding something good from you. There's another reason. 
That's not in his character. It's not in his nature to withhold something good from you. So if he's withholding something from you, there's a reason for it. Right? Maybe it's not as good as you think it is. Or maybe it's something you're not ready for. Or maybe his timing is a little bit later than what you're asking. I don't know what the answer is, but I know what the answer is not. It is not because he is someone who's going to withhold something good from you. That's not who he is. Yeah? Okay. Jesus made it possible for us to have every spiritual blessing. Every good thing that happens to us, we get because of Jesus. Like it all comes back to him. It all comes back to the cross, always. So every good thing that we have, we are never entitled to. We are always blessed with. Okay, next slide. Verse 4, God chose us to belong to Christ before the world was created. He chose us to be holy and without blame in his eyes. He loved us. So dad knew I needed a savior before the world was created. So nothing I do shocks him. Nothing you do shocks him. He's not always happy with all the choices I make, but they don't shock him. I was like, oh, no, I knew before I created the world you were going to need some help. (laughs) Like, nothing you do shocks me, kiddo. Right? So, Dad chose me to be holy and without blame in his eyes because of Christ. So, who are you? And what do you want from me? The way he sees me, his nature, is to see me as holy and without blame in his sight because of Christ. Now, I just felt what happened in the room. Half of you went, that can't be right. Like, do you know me? (laughs) Do you know some of the things I've done? I'm telling you how good God is and what the blood of Christ accomplishes. Because of the blood of Christ, he sees each of us holy and without blame. You remember Pastor John teaching about what we do and, and, and who we are, like our being and our doing? So our life is a process of our doing catching up with our being. Our being is that we're holy and without blame in his sight. Our doing probably needs to catch up to that because I imagine not all of us have arrived yet. But just because you haven't arrived doesn't mean that dad sees you differently. Because he sees the end from the beginning. There's this song that Kim Clement used to sing, which if you don't know who he is, I'm so sorry for you. Wonderful prophet. He used to sing this. He said, he would sing, I've seen you 10 years in the future and you look much better than you do right now. (laughs) Right? Look, I know it's a struggle now. But if you're walking with the Lord consistently and faithfully, I promise you in 10 years it's going to be better than it is right now. So he loves me, he knows me completely, and he loves me anyway. That's his nature. So like, you ever have that thing where you like, you do something wrong, and you don't want your parent, your spouse, your whoever, boss, to know what you did, so you kind of hide it just a little bit? Okay, so dad knows everything. Because that's so you doing that's just kind of silly, you know, because he knows everything. But the good news about him knowing everything is that his nature is such that he loves you anyway. 
So there's never really a need to hide anything. One, you can't, so it's kind of silly waste of time. But even if you could hide it, there's no need to because he loves you anyway. Right? Next verse. So he decided long ago to adopt us. He adopted us as his children with all the rights children have. And he did it because of what Jesus Christ has done. It pleased God to do it. Dad decided to adopt me a long time ago. He gave me all the rights his children have. Dad does not have second-class kids. You're not second-class because you're female or because you're black or because you're Hispanic or because you're poor or because you live in that part of town. There are no second-class kids. He did it because of what Jesus did, and it pleased him to make me his family. This is the nature of the Father. I am happy to have you as mine. Yes, I see all the stuff you do. I'm willing to forgive you. You've accepted Jesus as your Savior. All of it's paid for. Come home. That's the nature of the Father. If someone has told you that God is someone different, they don't know Dad very well. Because this is who Dad says he is. Next slide. So you can see in three verses, right? We found one command, give praise. And then he told us a whole bunch of reasons to give praise. Did he not? Right? We found a whole lot out about the character of God in three verses. By simply asking God, who are you and what do you want from me? So when you go home tonight and you start studying the scriptures, if you don't know where to start, start in Ephesians or the book of John, either one. They're both relatively straightforward and easy to understand. Start there and begin to ask him, God, who are you? And what do you want from me? And look at what you can find in three verses. So until, some, until the Lord brings someone into your life to disciple you one-on-one, start here. Let him teach you his nature. Next slide. So this is the circle of discipleship. Where are you in the circle? Have you passed the salvation point? Are you in the growth part? And then you eventually come on up to where you start making disciples. You start bringing someone else into the family of God and teaching them to ask those two questions. Who are you? What do you want from me? Next slide. So, disciple makers. A disciple maker is one who makes disciples. Oh, that's complicated, isn't it? Um, We, the church, have defined making disciples, um, redefined it. We have defined it as helping people to grow spiritually. This is not what Jesus meant when he said make disciples. He did not mean help people to grow spiritually. Helping people to grow spiritually is a part of discipleship. It is not discipleship. Okay? If a disciple is not a disciple maker, then they are not yet fully discipled. Or they are in rebellion. Ow! Right? So if you are a person who's been discipled, if you're grown in the Lord, and you're not making disciples, then that tells me one or two things. Either you're not fully discipled, which may be because no one has maybe ever explained to you that being fully discipled means you're a disciple maker. Maybe you don't know that. Well, well, today you're finding out. 
Yay! So being fully discipled means that you're making disciples. Okay? And, and if you're not making disciples and you know you're supposed to be doing that, well, then you're rebelling and disobedient. So I've done the whole rebelling, disobedient thing. I would not recommend it. It never seems to end well for me. So I seriously doubt it's going to end well for you. Um, but I'll just let you do you. Um, one of the commands of God is to make disciples, and if we're not doing that, then we're disobedient and rebellious. Once the person we have discipled is making disciples, then we find someone else new who needs, now, needs salvation, and we start all over again. Right? So I have one person who is real close. Hi, Kim. <laughs> That's Kim. Say hi, Kim. She is really close to starting to make disciples. As soon as she starts to make disciples, I'll find someone else. I'll ask the Lord, who is it? Because sometimes right now at this point in history, sometimes it's someone who's already saved, just never been discipled. And sometimes he's going, this person needs salvation. I want you to go here. So you just ask the Holy Spirit and he'll tell you. Right? Next slide. So that is the process of making disciples. Next so making disciples is important because it moves us from addition to multiplication. So we talked about a tale of two churches the last time I was here. So this time we're going to talk about a tale of two followers of Christ. Okay? Ta-da! Meet Dickie Lee. Hope you don't mind me picking on you, Dickie. I'll probably find out about it later if he does. I probably might owe him lunch. Um, <clears throat> meet Dickie Lee. He loves Jesus. He doesn't really understand why making disciples is a big deal, but he's really good at evangelism. He does that real well, okay? And then meet JP. Hi, JP. So JP also loves Jesus, and he decides to take the Lord at his word, and he makes one disciple per year for the next 34 years. Dickie Lee here, he sees 1,000 people saved every year for the next 34 years. So Dickie Lee focuses just on evangelism, and he sees a 1,000 people saved every year for 34 years. JP focuses on discipleship, and he disciples one person, not 1,500, one person every year for 34 years. And as we all know, someone who's truly discipled is a disciple maker, right? So every person that JP disciples then also makes disciples, and then those people make disciples. And those people make disciples. Which one of these two people you think is going to have more disciples in the end? More disciples made? JP, right? Well, let's look at the numbers. So year one, I'm talking about the, the white column here, not the gray column, because I couldn't figure out how to make Excel not do that. So year one, Dickie Lee sees 1,000 people come to Christ. JP sees one person come to Christ. Who do you think's winning? Yeah, yeah, it looks like Dickie Lee's winning, right? Look at uh, down on 10, year 10. By year 10, Dickie Lee has seen three, uh, sorry, excuse me, 10,000 people saved. That's not small potatoes, y'all. That's one-sixth the population of Paducah or Kraken County. That's not small potatoes. 
It's 10,000 people who ain't going to hell. That's a good thing, right? And JP has been faithfully, consistently, diligently making one disciple a year for 10 years. He's got 512. Now, this is not a race between the two at all. It's just a comparison, okay? But I don't know about you, but if I was JP, I'd be thinking, okay, I've been at this a decade, and there's 512 people. And I'm watching Dickie Lee's life explode, 10,000 people saved. And I start thinking, maybe I'm doing something wrong, right? Because there's only been like 512 people. Not that that's anything to sneeze at. But still, compared to 10,000, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Or, or, or maybe the scripture really doesn't mean what it says. Or, you know, maybe this is that one weird moment when God doesn't actually know what he's talking about. There would be a temptation to think that you're not accomplishing much or as much as someone who's seen a lot of people saved. Next slide. Check out year 15. Dickie Lee has 15,000. And now JP has seen 16,384. He's overtook him, right? I guess slow and steady does win the race. Next. You're 20. 20,000 for Dickie Lee, a half a million for JP. Because you're doubling, because <laughs> you're doubling every two years, because you're faithfully, consistently making one disciple a year who then turns and makes disciples. Year 25, uh, 25,000 versus 16 million. Next, look at year 34. 34,000 for Dickie Lee, which is great. That's 34,000 people ain't going to hell. It's a good thing. It's not bad. Compared to 8,589,934,592 for JP. This is the power of making disciples. And what do you know? It looks like God knows what he's talking about after all. But it doesn't look that way in the beginning. But obedience pays off. Because God knows what he's talking about. Right? Eight and a half billion people. Eight and a half billion. There's only 7.8 billion people on the planet. In 34 years and one lifetime, it is possible for one person to see the entire world saved by obeying God. If everybody gets on board with obeying God. If everybody gets on board with obeying God the world can be saved. But you know what? There's more than one of us in this room. How much faster would we get to everyone hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ if we were all obedient? Amen. Quite a bit faster, don't you think? There's 2.2, 2.2 billion Christians 
people who call themselves Christians on this planet. That's like 30-ish percent of the planet. Now, of those people, there are 500 million evangelical Christians. Evangelical Christians, for those of you who are not really familiar with that term, it means people who are born again and who think that you need to be born again too. That's evangelical Christian, basically, in a nutshell. There's more to it, but that is what we're talking about for our purposes today. 500 million. If 500 million of these evangelicals made one disciple per year, then in one year there would be a billion believers. And in two years there'd be two billion. And in three years there would be four billion. And in four years there would be eight billion. In four years, if every evangelical Christian actually made a disciple, the entire planet would be saved. We think about it as if it's, oh my gosh, there's 7.8 billion people. How will we ever reach the planet? Uh, In four years is how we can do it. This is the power of multiplication. It is the power of discipleship. So, next slide. Where are you in the circle? And what's your next step? I know this makes folks real uncomfortable because you don't want to like have to think about like actually making a disciple, but I promise you it's not as complicated as you think. So you know that thing that we just did? Right? Who are you? What do you want from me? You help walk somebody else through it. When they ask you a question you don't know, you say, I don't know. And then you go find somebody who does. Right? It's that simple. I remember the first time I tried to make disciples. Oh, my gosh. The first time I tried to make disciples, it was a teenager (laughs) at another church. And the first question she asked me was, is it a sin to be gay? And I was thinking, oh, can't we start with a simple question, like explain the Trinity? You know? (laughs) So... You're going to get asked questions that are going to make you uncomfortable that you may not know the answer to, that you're trying to figure out how to say. But it's important that you make disciples because in making disciples, you see a part of the heart of God that you won't see any other way. There's part of God's heart you don't see until you start making disciples. And I would love to tell you that it's always going to be smooth. That's not... Like, I've had some of the people that I've discipled who have gone on to start ministries and see other disciples made, and great things are happening in the spirit world for them, and then I've had others who've slid back into old ways of thinking and are trapped again. And I've had some that have slid so far back that they're in jail right now. So I would love to tell you that making disciples always ends in a great story. But I can't tell you that because people are people and they're going to make their own choices. And it's, I would love to tell you that it's not painful, but it is. You see, this part of Christianity for me is easy because I can stand on a stage and speak and then go home and do my own thing. But when I've been working with someone for years, and I see them slide all the way back to where they started, And they have no intention of moving forward again. It is heartbreaking. 
But I also know that making disciples is worth it. I believe it's 3 John 2 that says, John says, I know no greater pleasure, no greater joy than to see my children walking with the Lord. Right? I don't have children in the natural, but I do have spiritual children. And when I see Kim prayerfully considering who she's supposed to disciple, it gives me great joy. And when I see someone that I have discipled, Shelby Latham, she and her husband co-pastor a church, and they're seeing so many people come into the kingdom now, so many salvations. That's great joy. So if you're going to make disciples, just know that you will have ups and downs in that process. And there's part of the heart of God you won't see until you make disciples. But whether or not you obey this command is between you and the Lord. But I strongly suggest you do. Because there's 7.8 billion people who need Jesus. I realize that we have a lot going on in our nation. We have a lot of societal problems happening. And we have for years in this country. And I realize it's an election season and everyone's kind of up in arms about the election. But have you ever stopped to consider what it would look like if everybody on the planet knew Jesus? Or at least had the opportunity to know him. Do you think, now, we talked about knowing who he is and what he wants from us. Becoming obedient to him. And Jesus defines obedience as, I mean, defines love as, if you love me, you'll obey me. So if 7.8 billion people loved Jesus, do you think that there would be any murder? Do you think that if they knew his nature and they obeyed him, there would be murder? Would there be rape? Would there be theft? Lying? Addiction? Racism? The hatred of women? Do you think that any of those things, which are terrible, would exist if there were disciples in the world, in that number. I want to say to you that perhaps one of the reasons why our planet is struggling so much right now is because the church as a whole is failing in its mission to make disciples. Because if these folks were genuinely discipled, we wouldn't have near the amount of problems that we have. Now, we'd still have problems because people are people. But we wouldn't have the same level of problem and contention. So if you want to see the world become a better place, make disciples. Carry out your mission. And don't get discouraged when you only see 512. Because five years later, it will explode. Fight the good fight. Do what you're called to do. 
make disciples. So could I have the worship team come up? Everyone bow your head. Please. So God, we ask that you search us and know us, that you sift through our hearts, and that you show us where we are in the circle, and that you show us what our next step is, and that, God, you give us the courage of our convictions, that you give us faith to take the next step, whatever it looks like. And we know, God, that as we take the next step, that we're not alone, that you are with us. And we choose to cross over the chicken line and take the next step. We choose today, we commit ourselves to take the next step with you. So if you're out there in the audience and you're like, all that seems really interesting, lady, but I'm not in that circle. I'm standing on the outside of the circle wishing I was in. Then there's an opportunity for you today to come be a part of the family of God, to come be a part of the circle, to take that first step of salvation if the altar workers would come forward. We're going to have the first song is open for anyone, but it's particularly open for you if you need to know Jesus as your Savior. If that is where you are are at, you need to step into the circle, we invite you to come forward and talk to these folks. They'll lead you into a relationship with Jesus. And if you're in the audience and you're like, you know what, I don't need to talk to nobody, but I need to make a commitment, and I need to just talk to Jesus, and I want to make a public commitment, to start making disciples, you're invited to come and kneel and pray. And we'll leave you alone. We'll know you're having a conversation with God. So this first song is open for anyone who needs to come forward for any reason. Yeah.